0: The Splitting Headache Podcast, in association with Valemus Law. Expert advice on how to divorce well, with Nick Koffer and Joanna Abrahams.
1: Episode two of the Splitting Headache Podcast with me, Nick Coffer, and uh, family lawyer, Joanna Abrahams. Hello. Episode one was quite meaty, wasn't it, Joanna? Indeed. It was all about parental alienation. If you haven't listened to it, I'd recommend uh, seeking it out on your um, on your podcast app. And uh, this podcast series is all about how to separate Well, you've been a family lawyer for 20 20 years, (laughs) somewhere between 20 (laughs) and 30. Uh, Valemus Law, you're a, a director and a partner there. And this whole series is about how to separate well, particularly with regards to our children. If there are children involved in a separation or a divorce, they are the most important part of it. They didn't choose to have you. They didn't choose for you to get divorced. Uh, when it goes wrong, when there's conflict, when there's hostility, when there are problems, it can be extremely damaging for the children. That's why later on in this series we'll talk about mediation. Uh, we'll talk about the impact of hostility and conflict on children. It's really important to talk about contact, which in many ways is is the most meaty part Of a divorce or separation where where children are involved. Because for the parents, Joanna, it is a radical change to their situation. They will have been together in the same house. They will have had access to their children whenever they wanted, as much as they wanted. And then the breakup and everything changes.
0: It does, uh, which is why uh, the legislation and the terminology has changed. So we tend to try to use terminology such as lives with, lives with mum, X days, and lives with dad, why days? The reason that we use that terminology is so that child does not feel that one parent is more important than the other. And of course, they should not be made aware of uh, court proceedings. But also the one parent doesn't feel that they have quote one, unquote, which is why there was a huge shift from um, custody to residence and contact to now lives with. And it's an important point to emphasise because if a child doesn't see their uh, absent parent and they get to see him, for example, at weekends, referring to it as contact, uh, however well-meaning, does reinforce the fact that it's temporary and it's not their home. Whereas if you go and live with a parent, say Friday to Sunday, that gives a slightly different message that it is equally their home. And it's a subtle one, but one I think is important
1: to pick up on. Well, it's massive because you mentioned custody. You used to talk about you, will you go for custody? And it mm. had this whole adversarial soundtrack this competition you win, winning winning and possessing the children Mm -hmm. which is actually the last thing that you want to portray surely
0: well the emphasis the court's first and only uh, criteria is look at the welfare of the child what's in the best interest of the child not what the father wants not what the mother wants it's what is and not actually necessarily what the child wants but what is in that child's best interest which is very different sometimes so yes the emphasis has got to be on a relationship with both parents where it is safe and healthy to do so we must always emphasise that and where a child um, is in a position whereby there are allegations say of abuse being made contact will continue in most cases albeit on a supervised basis
1: I've lost track of the number of divorces and separations I've seen in my peer group, my friends, close, far contacts, myself included. I think I can think of one instance in all of those where contact was easily remedied. I think they went for one week on, one week off, which is perhaps quite unusual. And everyone was happy with that and they moved on. So it is always, always a very difficult topic of conversation from the outset. The moment you know that that relationship has broken down and there are children involved, what are the key elements that need to be taken into account by both parents to start to think about an arrangement, a schedule?
0: So first of all, it's not that unusual to have one week on, one week off. It really depends on on the family circumstances. It also depends on the non-resident parent where they're going to be living. If they are going to be living, I have one case where they were literally, and I mean literally three doors away from each other. There's no reason why that can't happen. If, however, a parent is a 40 minute drive away, it's going to be harder. So the first thing to take into consideration is the child and their needs. And for example, their routines. Do they have ballet? Do they have swimming? And if so, is one, parent working late is one on a shift, Uh, how can those needs be accommodated? So rather than start with a default position of you're living with me, but you can see your absent parent as and when are alternate weekends. One of the ways that we look at this is to say, well, let's also look at some other um, times when we can facilitate it. It doesn't have to be that traditional model. And the other thing also to think about is what is an alternate weekend? Uh, it's about communication. Someone may think it's Saturday morning until Sunday evening. Someone may think it's Friday after school until Monday morning. Communication is key, but obviously it has to be child-centric.
1: Is it worth mentioning at this point that, 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 yes, it's child-centric, yes, it's around what works best for the children, but it's important also for the parents to look at what they need. And I think at the start of, uh, of any breakup, perhaps often the default position is, I want the children as much as possible. But of course, there is that element of free time and refresh time that needs to be factored in. If, if you've not been a parent on your own previously, it's important to think about, having those breaks, having those two, three, four, seven days where you can rest, where you can go out, where you can potentially date as well. It does work both ways, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, of course you need your free time. I think that goes without saying, as does the resident parent. But one thing I think we need to be mindful of is when there's more than one child, the children may want their specific individual time with you their alone time and that is super important whether a child's alienated or not to know that dad or mum is going to spend the day with them taking them to um, rafting or dry skiing or just having a day out on the beach or whatever they're doing they know that that parent is with them and the other point i think is really important to make is when you're with that child be with that child. Please don't be on your phone and just taking this one phone call or this check or checking your Facebook. Because the amount of reports that I've seen where X or Y, dad or mum is with me, but they're not with me. A child is not stupid. They're going to pick up on that.
1: And you are better off having two hours of phenomenal quality time than a week of rubbish quality time. Absolutely.
0: Don't push for time just because you should get it. Um, Obviously there's always the financial factor involved. We see this where it's ugly head time and time ago. Again, where it's nights so CSA is calculated on how many nights and sometimes parents will want to have X amount of nights with the child even though they haven't got the slightest interest in them and unfortunately this often comes size of financial. Is that proceeding. to reduce
1: their maintenance mm-hmm. commitment?
0: Reduce it, absolutely. CSA will reduce um, according to how many nights you have. Going back to my point before, it's about what works best for you and the child.
1: So as you rightly say, this is about what is in the best interest of the children and indeed what the children want. But there are a couple of things that strike me. One is that the child may not be old enough to have that level of insight. Could be a baby, could be a yeah. toddler, could be a, a young child. Even an older child may not know what's best for them. <laughs> equally a child may be scared to say what they want and that touches on what we were talking about uh, in the last episode around parental alienation they may not want to say to their dad actually you know i want to see mum more or, or or vice versa and then you may have a parent who claims to have greater insight of what the child of what the child needs and that may or may not be the case so as a professional how do you start to disentangle that
0: so Um, starting with what the child wants the best judge of that child is the parent and they're going to know if a child is genuinely um, wanting to be with them for example having a great time but when they go back home they start to emotionally distance themselves because they know there's a very difficult transition for them and this does happen quite a lot and it's just about being alive to it and encouraging them um, when they're with you Uh, and sometimes actually it's about you needing to um to use the expression we've used for straighten up and fly right as a parent. It may be that they do need you to do something with them um, and engage with them. But let me be clear, just because you are a separated parent, it does not mean that a child should be entitled to dictate to you what they want and that a lot of parents are really scared of um, when being told to jump uh, and not saying how high, that they will lose their relationship with their children. Children need boundaries, and it's a really tricky path to navigate when contact could be precarious, um, and then having to put your foot down. So we do have cases where somebody might not want to go to contact, or, or uh, and then we realise why, and it's because uh, when they're having contact, dad makes them go to bed at ten, which is fine. <laughs> or Takes what away is,
1: their phone. Well, or... Or
0: ta- absolutely, takes away the phone is actually a really, really important one. I've had cases where they've switched off the Wi-Fi because the children would. Not go to bed at midnight and they didn't want to go again this is parenting and it's a really tricky, a very tricky line to to navigate
1: you mentioned the transition an old counselor I knew and had uh, referred to the transition between houses for a child as being like shedding a skin it's that difficult it's that traumatic so from the very early days of that relationship breakup of that separation what can both parents be doing to make that transition easier better well, more comfortable
0: one thing that you can do if you if you are on good terms is to actually go into each other's houses and so for example if mum is coming to collect little johnny that she goes into the house and dad says, Hi, how are you? Rather than sitting outside beeping the horn and texting, Get out, get out, which is very stressful. So, if on handovers a child can see there is no conflict, then the child will not have any themselves. They will be led by their parents. Is so it that simple? It often, very is that. Often, it is really that simple. It's giving the correct message to your child and they look and they learn by example.
1: I guess one of the difficulties here is that divorce separation. These are times of great change, great loss, um, feelings of anger, feelings of uh, all manner of complex feelings happening at the same time for the parents. And at that time, you're trying to make reasoned, balanced decisions for your children. That's a challenge, isn't it? It
0: is a challenge because... For a vast majority of people, this is the first time they have found themselves in this position. So you are navigating a new stage in life where as before you were part of a couple and now you're not or certainly not with that former person and that the dynamics have changed. So getting to grips with that is going to be difficult in itself for a vast majority of people, not everybody. And then also learning that there is a new normal and it is realising that this is the new normal and adapting to it as best you can.
1: And that that new normal is okay for the children and okay for both of you as parents.
0: Yeah. So what worries me is sometimes people are saying, "Well, I should be having them." My friend has got them. Dot 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 dot. Well. What works for some families doesn't work for others. And even if you are seeing your children, quote, only, unquote, every other weekend, but not in between. Well, look at other ways that you can address this. Are they old enough to FaceTime or Skype or something like that? And there might be those opportunities to still have contact with them without actually having to physically be there.
1: And you look at... um families who are still together and you've got perhaps a father who is in the armed forces who's not there six months of the year or works on an oil rig or someone who who leaves home at six in the morning comes back at 10 o'clock at night when you actually think about it rationally even when you're still part of a nuclear family you may be seeing your children less than 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 when you're separated but
0: what is unusual is that people don't realize and bear with me on this. The contact they're getting is better than the time they had before they left because they are much more in the moment thinking about what's going on and dedicating that time to their children. And sometimes relationships thrive in that environment. They're also going to thrive because perhaps a, par- a parent is less stressed than when living under the same roof as the other, but they're happier. And when they're happier in themselves, that often is just going to be transported to the child. So it's not always a bad thing. It can be positive.
1: And Bear with me on this as a follow up point, as someone who who has been uh, now uh, separated and divorced for, for nearly six years. The version of parenting that involves you being 100% focused on your children when you have them and then having time to be yourself and be the adult outside of those times some would say that's actually a really good version of, of life and of parenting as opposed to being on duty you know 7-7, seven, seven. you're concentrated when you're with them and when you're not you can be that other personality.
0: It's great, I have a friend who when her children were younger they're much older now, I used to love alternate weekends she used to close the front door and that was the time for her to put on rom-coms and um, slop around in her pyjamas and so Okay. The advice I would also give is don't worry about your kids going off to As long as there are no safeguarding concerns, there are worries about how they're going to cope without me. Um, we've got a really close bond. They're used to living at home. All these things that are very natural. But first of all, number one, you may transport your worries to that child. So please don't try and find some way of dealing with it. But find your positives in that situation. If you are the resident parent, let's not forget that, and your child is going for, for contact, uh, and we use those terms, the old-fashioned terms, think about the positives positives of it and there are so many and also it does mean that when they do come back both of you have had that little break it's like a refresh button
1: and there are positives the child may for example get two summer holidays they may get two Christmas days if you can frame those changes in a positive way it can be good for everyone concerned
0: yeah and that's the way forward and if people would um, look at it and I think what you, we spoke about before about reframing is is having a look at how you view the situation you can look at a situation from all, po- all viewpoints and if you can fi- take the positives from it that's only going to be the way forward for you The Splitting Headache Podcast is brought to you by Valamus Law, a modern and exceptional family law firm. For more information, go to www.valamuslaw.com or call 033333
1: 90309. I mentioned a plan earlier on of seven days on, seven days off, and you said, oh, that's actually not as rare as you think, Nick. Equally, from what you've said since, there is no one-size-fits-all plan. You must have done thousands of these. Are there plans that work better than others, or or is it really, really case by case?
0: No, there are plans that work better than others, um, because if there is going to be stability for a child that is going to be very important. So there are cases where somebody wants a child Monday and then not Tuesday, Wednesday. And and on the face of it, it sounds horrific, but sometimes it works and it's not something that would be recommended. But a judge will look at it and say, if that's working, I'm not going to interfere with it. As a rule though, however, kids do take some time to settle in um, from a weekend. If they've been with um, the non-resident parent, they come home, they might be tired. They might have been, I don't know, stuffed up on sugar or whatever, because they've had a fantastic weekend and they need that time to decompress and then get back into the routine. And if there's too much of a shift, it can be unsettling for a child. And so one of the things that we need to remember is they need that time to settle back down and we need to remember to factor that in.
1: Of course, one of the other things you have to factor in is that one of the parents, I guess usually the dad, may not have had a significant amount of experience of solo parenting when, when they're in a relationship for, for any number of reasons. You mentioned uh, a few moments ago about how, how a mum might worry about a child going off to their dads. Yeah. This is quite hard to navigate. On the one hand, you want the other parent to to learn and grow and and, and, and change their parenting skills, but you can understand the concerns of the mum as well. And I speak As a dad.
0: Yeah, one has to be careful not to be over-prescriptive. This is the bedtime routine. This is what they have. 807 is milk, blah, 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 blah. You have to remember to let that parent parent and it is extremely difficult sometimes to let go as a resident parent to realise that the other parent probably okay they may not have much of a clue but most of the time the the child's going to be all right they may come back with some odd socks or whatever but that's not really a big deal and also very importantly is the line of communications open so if for example the child is there and has got a fever they can phone up mum or dad and say look I'm giving them two teaspoons of cowpaw just so you know when I bring them back so that you don't do the same it's really simple things like that which are so important
1: so we're still on the line here of a, of a plan that's been agreed yeah. and implemented between two communicating parents we'll come on to what happens when it goes wrong shortly yeah. um, with this plan that's going well where there are no problems what happens when the children start to get older and perhaps start to show different desires they want different choices they may want to be one parent more than the other or change the plan how do you navigate that if it's in a good environment
0: if it's in a positive environment you go with the flow as long as you can accommodate it so there shouldn't be an issue if a child wants to spend an extra couple of nights with dad as long as it's it's not because he or she is upset with mum it's simply because dad lives nearer to the cricket club and there's going to be a cricket match the next day or actually they just want to go and see a film together you don't necessarily even need a reason you should be able to choose between both homes when they're younger it's not so easy because obviously they need that hands on care picking up and supervision when they're older and we're normally talking about 14 or so when they start voting with their feet anyway then that freedom is something which should be very much encouraged but also very very importantly communication we don't want a situation where a child hasn't come home has gone to the other parent and the other parent hasn't said so that then causes mistrust.
1: So those are ideal world scenarios. Ideal you, world. You, you, you and sit they down. Work. You sit down. You agree. You communicate. The children are happy. There are of course many examples where that doesn't happen. Where you're in a, a very difficult breakup. Where there is hostility between parents. Uh, where communication is non-existent. How do you start to resolve a plan? for the children in those instances we'll talk about mediation later on in this series but how do you it's quite
0: simple actually with a bit of psychology i had a psychiatrist in a case once say to me you know what Uh, this was he said it in general to the to the parties not necessarily to me but obviously i was listening you get a lot more in life if you're nice and um you try and give the other person the uh Image of control, whatever it is, the the, the perception of control, which I thought was slightly manipulative. So how how does this work in practice? So this works in practice by saying, um, right, contact's a week or so, we've got a couple of weeks that we need to sort out. What works best for you? What do you propose? And put the ball in that other person's court. And sometimes they may be so taken aback rather than being told this is what's happening, that you'll get a much better response. It doesn't always work, but I have found it to be quite effective.
1: So what happens when you've got one parent who's not uh, responding to the Machiavellian psychological approach, who is really clinging on hard to their children, clinging on hard to that contact Mediation obviously is an option. What can you do?
0: So it's quite easy to dismiss someone's concerns. Oh, for goodness sake, the child's fine. Well, you're over worrying. And that's not going to help the situation. Even if you think those concerns are ridiculous, sometimes it's worth just stepping back a little bit to allay that person's concerns. You may well be able to. And if you can, then that's going to be so much the better. However much you're writing them off in your head, that's something that needs to be done.
1: I guess also it's really important not to view the children as a prize. Your pride can kick in in these moments and you don't want to concede them, What I'm talking about them here in a, an entirely inappropriate way, but you don't want to lose them. You don't want to hand them over. That has to go, doesn't it? This has to be about the children.
0: I think people... Um, And we get this more particularly with a parent who has been at home with the child their entire life, hasn't had their own career or um, job outside of the house. Not always, but it's a predominant feature. Feels that their identity is very, very much entwined with their child. And therefore, when the child is gone, it's, well, what am I going to do? A bereavement. Okay, by myself. In a way, but it, it, I wouldn't say it's quite a bereavement. A bereavement is more akin to when there is no contact and the child rejects you. But there's a feeling of loss. There's a feeling of, what well, I've always had them and now I haven't. I'm a mum. How can I be a mum or how can I be a dad when they're not here? And so there are often those issues to deal with and they're much subtler. Uh, but again, as a ex-partner, you should be aware of how your ex feels about the children. And then rather than saying... Just hand them over and get on with it, and stop with your neuroses. Just take a step back and understand that that person is probably, when we're talking about genuine concerns, genuinely worried about these things. What can we do about them? Can we make some practical suggestions so that the child is happier?
1: You get to a point where you find a plan, however, yeah. however you get there. What do you do where one of the parents appears, and I don't want to go back over a parental alienation because we did that in the last episode, but one of the parent, let's say, appears to be not helping, not facilitating, not enabling that contact, uh, perhaps even actively blocking it. What happens then?
0: So there's two scenarios here. One is where they are appearing to do so and saying, I'm doing the best I can. And one is where they're blocking it. The first one is a situation we call false compliance, where we're saying, well, I'm telling uh, little Barney Rubble to go and have contact with dad, but he just won't go and I can't make him. Well, uh, the answer to that, of course, is uh, you can and you do. You should be parenting and you should say to Barney, it should not be a choice for you, little rubble, about whether you do, you don't want to go. You're going to mum's this weekend. You're going to dad's this weekend.
1: Does this go back to a point you made in the last episode where you were saying, you know, if your child wants to go out and do drugs and stay exactly. out till midnight, you can say no. Is this the same thing? If, if you've got to take your child to a doctor's appointment, you'll say you're going to the doctor's. Is this the same the same element, the same boundary?
0: Yes, um, giving children choice in those situations is sometimes very harmful it's not what's in their best interest and so when this situation happens if a parent is falsely compliant what you could ask them is well you say that you're encouraging um little um betty rubble to come and and see me but um and you say you can't get her to come okay um, I don't want to parent. I, I don't want to step on your on your boundaries. But can you tell me what you're doing, and maybe we can work together on this. And if, for example, there are no repercussions, such as well, if you don't go, then X, Y, and Z, then that may be something you can discuss. So you could talk about the negative sides as well as the rewards. If you go, when you come back, we're going to have um, I don't know a picnic. If you don't go, you can forget it. And one can easily do that. It's not manipulative. It's not cruel. It is a boundary and, and a way to parent.
1: I was literally going to say, when you talk about incentives and consequences, it's the definition of boundaries. <laughs>
0: it is, but boundaries aren't terribly fashionable. And you're talking to a girl who is quite old-fashioned and believes in them.
1: And yes, albeit that there is something old-fashioned about it. Actually, if you, if you talk to professionals, if you read... Professional documents. If 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 you read about parenting, there's a lot of talk about boundaries and how important it is to hold the line with children and and not let the children sort of go above the line. You you've still got to be the parent.
0: Yeah, and, and people are worried about that and and we and about being accused of abuse, which is something we get a lot um, in in our line. And one has to be very clear: abuse is abuse, however you dress it up. That that's it. But it should not be confused with parenting. And I'm not talking about smacking. We're not talking about any sort of corporal punishment. We're not talking about verbal abuse. We're talking about simply laying down what is right and what is wrong.
1: And are you saying that some tears are okay? I'm not saying to be a cruel parent, but but children may sometimes kick back. They may resist. But sometimes as a parent, you need to have confidence in, in your own decision.
0: Yes. If we're getting up at nine o'clock tomorrow morning to go out to the seaside and you've still got your... Mm, Game Boy on or whatever the earth they're called now, you know, you're gaming until 11 and I've told you to turn it off, asked you to turn it off and then you haven't and I've turned the Wi-Fi off. You can have as many tantrums as you like, but you need to be up in the morning. And so there are always a deal. and I hate you. And then there's texts back, you yeah, turn the Wi-Fi off. But again, this is another thing. If you get a text from a child whilst they are with the other parent, please, please Just take a moment before you respond and look at it in context. And if you are grown up enough, please contact the other parent to discuss it. First of all, appreciate the other parent. May well be parenting and have an opportunity to talk to them about it. Don't step on their toes and do not always go, and what is at face value on that text?
1: Uh, This is such an important point around separation of houses. And you talk about, you know, it's good to show that the parents are together and they might, say I say together, good to show the parents get on okay, pop into each other's houses. But ultimately it is critical, isn't it, that when um, the child is with parent A, parent A is in charge. When the child is with parent B, parent B is in charge. And if you do get that text, like you say, uh, they say, I don't know, mum is, you know, dad is, it may not be at face value and, 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 and speak to the other adult who, who may potentially at that moment also be struggling themselves. They may welcome that call and say, oh, do you know what? It's been an absolute nightmare. Don't take uh, word for word verbatim what that child is saying at that moment is is that a fair observation
0: yeah I mean, it's the same as shouting something out loud isn't it if you shout it into the air it's gone if it's on a text it's there and often we all know texts can come sometimes without context and uh, and sent in the heat of a moment. So, yes, please take that time to talk to the other parent.
1: It's the Splitting Headache podcast uh, with uh, me, Nick Koffer and Joanna Abrahams. We're going to talk about court in a moment as well. I should just say, by the way, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Acast or wherever you happen to have found it, there is a video version of it. And we look good, don't we, Joe? I'm wincing. (laughs) There is a video version, uh, YouTube, Spotify as well. Just do a search for the Splitting Headache podcast. You can see uh, what we look like and um, see how relaxed we are eating our chocolate muffins that we've uh, gone through the whole pack. There's one left. It's it's on the floor there, Joe. and I'll give it to you afterwards. Uh, We'll we'll come to to court in a moment. That's
0: incentive to behave, isn't it? (laughs) It is. That that, that
1: was boundaries. Uh, We'll come to court in a moment. Um, Random question for you, talking about plans. Often and particularly in the world as it is now post-pandemic, parents don't have a regular life. A, a parent could be a freelancer. Yeah. A parent could be doing night shifts. There could be any number of reasons why it is not easy to say, I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you do in those instances?
0: There's really important word called flexibility. That does not mean that you um, pick and choose at the last moment, but most people will have a schedule so they will know in the next month or two months what their plans are likely to be. Obviously, things happen. That's what happens in real life. And when that does happen, a parent does need to be able to say, Look, I'm really sorry, but can we change tonight to tomorrow night? I don't know, have to take X to hospital or something's happened at work. We should be able to have that. Uh, but as much structure as possible is going to be ideal for a child. Uh, but obviously, it has to be subject to change, but not frequent changes.
1: I'm loath to bring in too much of my own personal experience into this podcast, but there's something I will add at this point, and that is that my experience with my children has been that no matter what the plan, no matter whether there is a change, the most important thing is that they know. They know where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. From that point on, everything else is, is manageable.
0: Well, it's it needs you're right it needs to be explained to them so a child isn't going to be that bothered most of the time if they're going to spend thursday night instead of tuesday night with dad or with mom as long as they're aware of that and they can put their plans in place because it means that they for example they don't make a play day after school that day and then i want to go see my friend so it's about communicating that to the child and one thing that's very important i'm very strong believe is, is decisions should be made by the parents and relayed to the child and we're talking about young children here, rather than a child being in a position, well, do you want to go and see your father? Do you want to go and see your mother? That is just hideous and shouldn't be happening.
1: Parents need to come together and present a united front mm. of a decision they've reached as adults uh, in that family, in that yeah. wider family system. The question of court, um, let's be honest, we could do an hour, two hours on the question of court yeah. around contact. And we will talk about court specifically Uh, in a later episode, you know, why we go there, what happens, what are the pitfalls, what are the advantages. But it would be remiss to talk about contact without talking about eventually going to court. What are the instances whereby court does become the only uh, potential remedy? You've you've done your mediation, you you haven't reached a point of agreement. At what point would you, as a family lawyer, be saying, do you know what, we've got to make an application to court?
0: Well, um, I always give this caveat, the same as with investments, as contact can go down as well as up. And I don't think a lot of people realise that That and they need to be aware of it. The other problem is that, and I see this a lot, a child can start to become aligned with one parent when they weren't before. So we get parent A is taking parent B and their kids to court Mummy's taking us to court. Daddy's taking us to court. And so there can be cases where alignment starts and it wasn't there before. Because of
1: the court process. The
0: court process. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm simply saying you need to be alive to that fact that it is a possibility. Uh, but uh, it it shouldn't be a first resort. It should be a last resort. But that said, because of the time that it takes to go through the system and the... Um, the impact of a delay on a child where if they are entrenched they will remain entrenched sometimes it is the only option available for a client and one thing I need to say is I would never say we should be making an application you should be and I wouldn't even say you should be making an application it is always that person's decision and theirs alone they should get advice but ultimately it's up to them when they're ready to do so
1: should it only happen in instances where both parents are poles apart because i'm sure that there are examples that you've seen that go through the courts where actually the parents are going at it hammer and tongs because one of them wants one extra night every 14 days and you must look at that and think, why on earth yeah. are we here? Is it important to only be looking at court as a remedy? If, for example, you know, one parent, uh, I'm going to say mums and dads here, but say say the mum wants the dad to have the child only one night in 14 and the dad wants them three nights in four, no, five nights in 14. Does there have to be that big disparity to make it, in large inverted commas, worthwhile?
0: No, it doesn't have to be a disparity because ultimately it's what's in the best interest of that child and if you feel that child really needs that time with you um, and, and and they're going to benefit from it and one, one night in 14 is really not enough then absolutely and that's when we look at the allocation. If it's a simple matter of nights as opposed to any other allegations that's when the magistrates will often deal with that sort of thing with statements, evidence and crack on and make a decision.
1: You mentioned nights and we've talked about maintenance mm-hmm. to be clear. Maintenance is calculated correct me if I'm wrong on the number of Overnights, not meal times, yep. not if, not if they come, you know, for yep. supper and go home. If they come for supper and go home, that doesn't count, and that doesn't reduce your maintenance.
0: That's right. And here's one thing that people often overlook: is that if you think your ex is very financially motivated, uh, you might want to change your approach from overnights to evenings uh, during the week, because if they then feel that their CSA will remain as it is and it's protected. They may be more willing to oblige. So it's something just to think about.
1: You need to explain that to me. So, so uh, at what point is it advantageous to do evenings as opposed to overnights?
0: If you feel that your ex is never going to give you three nights out of 14 because it's going to affect their child maintenance... One way around it, if you desperately want to see your children, is to suggest, well, how about I pick the kids up from school at five o'clock and drop them back at half past eight and I still get to see Well, they still get to see me. It's not about me seeing them. They get to see me. They get to see their family and whatever. And the resident parent may be absolutely thrilled with that because that's not going to affect the overnights. And it is a way round it. And unfortunately, fortunately, it has worked. These are things that you don't find in the lawyer's handbook, but its experience tells me this, is you have to try and work out how your ex functions and what is going to appeal to them the most.
1: And accept as well that uh, sometimes having a lovely two-hour supper with your child popping around um, to eat and maybe, I don't know, watch a bit of telly is worth three nights of them staying at your house it yeah as
0: you said before it's the actual time you spend with them the other thing you can do if you think that your ex is motivated is to give them an assurance that she will not be applying to the csa to vary it and that may sometimes be something that somebody is seeking um and they're very aware of it if i have a reduction of four nights this is going to affect how much i can live how much my maintenance is going to be all overall and it may be a genuine worry it's not for somebody if you can give them that assurance then that sometimes makes things easier every couple is different but these are just a few things that we're sort of throwing out there
1: and in summary of all of this the most important thing from what you're saying Joanna is don't weaponize the children don't make them part of a battle work it out between yourselves as parents. And it doesn't need to get to the point of having to go to court and court orders and and, and court enforcement.
0: Sometimes it does have to get to court, but deal with your own issues. That really is number one. Uh, Your adults, try and keep the kids away from it. Don't embroil them. Do not use them as messengers. Do not put them in a position where they have to choose. But if you do have to go to court, then so be it. But bear in mind, it's not always a simple process. And always always get advice before issuing uh, because every situation is going to be difficult sorry different
1: and sometimes difficult yeah so in summary talk it through try and see it from the standpoint of the children but equally don't let the children call all the shots be the adults be the parents who make the decisions allow yourselves to be flexible where necessary because life can and does happen and you may have to vary things a little bit keep your eye on what's happening be positive about what happens when the children shift houses so they know that you're surviving when they're not there and they know that they're going to have a good time when they're and there. And look
0: at how the other person is responding and why they are responding as they are.
1: And keep things separate. It, 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 from what you're saying, that's really important. That, And in many ways, that's the biggest mental jump, isn't it? You, you're out of that um, situation where you're living in a house together. You've got to now think in terms of, of two households
0: yeah and it's not what you should be doing but what works best for you as a family
1: in a nutshell this is one of the toughest parts of your job isn't it trying to ascertain what happens to the children and, and where they go
0: we never know um the best i can do is give some common sense advice along with legal advice and uh, sometimes people don't think um because they've not been in that situation before and so they just need a bit of guidance
1: I remember just to finish uh, with uh, a word of advice I was given some time ago uh, by uh, someone kind of in your field uh, and they said, if it's good for you, it's good for the kids. And that comes back to the point around, make it work for you as adults, because if if you need time off, have that time off. If you need time with the kids, have that time with the kids. If as parents you're settled in yourself and you're content with your life, by definition, that's good for the children, isn't it?
0: Yeah, of course, a happier parent. You can be two happy parents and two happy homes much better than two parents absolutely miserable.
1: And that's what I want us to achieve in this podcast, that there is an alternative way. There is a way of everyone moving on, uh, getting on, the children being content, being settled, being happy, and people having their new lives. It may not be the life that you uh, signed up for, that you yeah. bought into when you got married. It's a different life, but it can still be a good life.
0: Yeah, it's it's change. and As I said before, it's the new normal and how you approach it.
1: Fascinating as always, Joanna. Um, Don't forget that uh, you can uh, view the video version of this podcast if you're listening uh, on uh, Spotify or Apple. Every time I say that, you smile embarrassingly. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, don't forget to go to YouTube or uh, or Spotify, actually do a search for the Splitting Headed Podcast. However you're listening to this, do subscribe or follow depending on on the app that you're using. It means you'll get informed as to when the uh, future episodes will come up. If you get a chance, leave us a review. Well, well tell- yes,
0: and I would just say that Nick had promised to wear a bright pink tuxedo <sighs> and you haven't done so. I so perhaps with the comments, we might get a view on that.
1: However, however, now you've said that in a future episode, we'll tell the story of the hair, Joanna. That, that, <laughs> that will be for another time, not for this. Or maybe we should. No, we won't do it this time. Uh, yeah, so do do leave us a review um, when, you, uh, when you listen to us on the, on the podcast app. Uh, the next episode will be all around conflict and hostility and in particular the impact that has on children. Divorce and separation by definition can be very conflictual. What happens to the young humans who are often very much caught in the middle? Joanna, remind us where we can find
0: you. Find me at valamuslaw.com.
1: If you are new, uh, get in touch with Joanna. I'm sure she'd be delighted to hear from you. Thank you for listening. Uh, Conflict and hostility, that'll be the next episode in the Splitting Headache podcast.
0: Thanks, Good night.